0: Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, an English language podcast exclusively dedicated to the Copa Libertadores, South America's premier club competition. The tournament is well up and underway. We covered on the pod this week, myself, David Windsor and Mr. Oliver Wilson. We covered match day three of the group stages. We talked about... The relentless, beautiful finishing of Gabby goal. We talked about how good Palmeiras are. Is Honey the best player in the tournament? We talked about Boca Juniors, who are now potentially in a spot of bother ahead of a really interesting clash away at Santos. We talked about Gachado and River. Ollie had some weird and wacky analogies and references to American sitcoms. And uh, there, was all sorts of, there was all sorts of mad stuff. But Ollie, that was um, that was really enjoyable, mate. Good pod. I'm just trying to make it relatable to the global audience, Windsor. <laughs> nice.
1: That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bring South American football and the complexities of inter-team politics and positioning sure. into a very relatable environment of the American sitcom. No, you it's, do a fine job. It's, it's, it's very peculiar because this week, last week, we were waxing lyrical about how great a goal-scoring week it was. We had all the action. This week, we had a, a fair few quite dead games, a couple that were rather unexciting, even with, with big sides playing in them. But there's still, you know, well over an hour of Libertadores to really get into, and he gets so sidetracked with some of the, the other lines running through these football clubs as this tournament goes on, and they all will impact as we get deeper into the competition as well. Look, it's never a chore, always a pleasure to do oh, this every man. week.
0: But it is also, you're so right, though. Ollie. It's so easy. Of course, we talk about the the minutiae of the games, right? Because that's we're covering the the group games, but it's so easy. But for for narrative to be set and to zoom out and see big picture of you know at one point only in the pod this week we were talking about when is a non Brazilian when is a non Brazilian side ever going to win the Copa Libertadores again <laughs> I don't know it might be twenty fifty like it, it's that you sort of get lost in all kinds of tangents and the future of individual players and um, yeah and everything else in between this is all without fans in the ground as well think about the additional talk and VAR think of the additional talking points that are going to come our way in the in the um, knockout stages and beyond right. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. Pulling it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is
1: an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Araka
0: pulls the trigger.
1: racing club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage.
0: Ten rounds of matches left. You know, it's quick. It's, it goes. It goes by. Halfway quick. through
1: the group stage. I mean, yeah. We were talking about match week four is kind of the big one of really seeing who's actually going to have a chance to get out of these groups. And we're there this week coming Mm. up, like (laughs) starting to get do or die for a few people.
0: I just did some quick maths, Oli, before we dive into um, the nitty gritty of each group, right? I just did some quick maths.
1: Love maths. Great. Cheers.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay. So there are six Brazilian sides in the group stages and the six Argentine sides, right? Yep. The Argentine sides have scored 25 goals. The Brazilian sides have scored 51. Jeez. The Brazilian sides have scored double the amount of goals. And I was also thinking that Like the dominance of the Brazilian sides this year looks really big. And we'll get onto this later, Olly. But just the fact that when Palmeiras and Flamengo and other Brazilian clubs rest and rotate, they still win games. And when Boca and River rotate, they don't win games. Yeah. And that's a big <laughs> that's a big thing. And that tells you everything you need to know. These Brazilian squads are huge. They have to be because of all the ge- ridiculous amount of games they play. But I mean, there's but there's, there's, a, players... there's an
1: extraordinary amount of games in Argentina as well. When you think yeah. about how the league is broken up and then you've got the Copa Argentina and then uh, is it the Copa Superliga or is it the Copa Diego Maradona these days? Or, I, I mean, there's at least three domestic tournaments in Argentina. that They all need to take quite sin- seriously. And it's all split up into different groups. And then everybody plays each other once or twice in the group. And then the top four go into a playoff format and stuff like that. So why is it that the Brazilian sides are happy to give themselves these huge squads for what is a ridiculous season as well? It's just constant with the regional tournament and then Serie A in Brazil and the Libertadores that Dinero. takes 12 months to do.
0: Like, Dinero. It's money. That is, in they can afford to have the bloated squads and keep these players on wages that means they don't run away and Bocconi River can't do that they have to keep a slim down squad because they can't have you know uh, Nacho Fernandez sitting on the bench or anything like that so i think it's so uh, they
1: so they have a smaller squad with a better caliber of player so they pay the money for better players and focus on one tournament as opposed to the Brazilians that have the money to play pay a similar level of player across the board and have bigger depth at yeah okay
0: i think so yeah i think so cuz still Bocconi River's first 11 as we'll hopefully see throughout the you know as the tournament goes on are a decent match for for some of the Brazilian sides. We will see. Let's go straight into Group A, Oli. And is well, <laughs> defender Ustici one, Palmeiras two. Is Honey the best player in South American club football?
1: Yeah, at the moment, yeah. I, I wanted awesome. to ask you. I wanted to ask you this after the Flamengo game um, when we talk about that. Who would you rather have at this point, and who would you rather have over the last three years of watching the Libertadores, Bruno Aniki or Honey? Honey. Even over the three years, yeah? Because we uh, went Brun- huge on Bruno Enrique.
0: No, no, of course we did, yeah. And I, I understand the kind of flavour of the month argument, but at the same time, I think Bruno Enrique he just fades out of games and he gets injured more and, and you know, maybe he's a bit more of a sensitive soul, I think, sometimes. Whereas Honey just looks like the last twelve months just just absolutely ruthlessly consistent. Listen, two marvellous goals from Honey. Um, and both of them set up by Luis Adriano. I, I WhatsApped during the week and said, Oh, how about the pass for the first? And you were like, well, what about the second? But I mean, <laughs> the first one, the weight on it is amazing. And, and, you know, they're both really clever finishes. And Luis Adriano just sets them up so neatly and so quickly as well. He doesn't sort of hang around on the ball. Um, the celebration as well from Honey. Did he always used to do that? He's got the acrobatic, the somersaults. And I always feel like when players start doing that, they never roll it back. They're just going to do that until they get injured doing that. But did he do that last year?
1: I think he has done on previous occasions. At least two years ago, I vaguely recall covering a game where he did do it. He's always had it in his locker, Windsor. That's the thing with Honi. He's always had all of these tricks in his
0: locker. But he loves it now. Even the celebrations. I mean, it's gymnastics. It's an amazing, any player that can do it is, is, um, uh, yeah, just an amazing skill. But I mean, listen, Palmeiras, three wins from three. Um, Yeah, Honi's got four goals now in the tournament. Uh, No side's defended it, as we always say, since Boca in 2001. But 20 years after that, Palmeiras are going to come very, very close.
1: Yeah, I I do worry about how Defensa Eusticia approached this game. They played a very high line at times and they did leave. It it sounds weird to say they left their back four exposed because you think with four defenders at the back, that should be enough. But with the front three that Palmeiras play with, and the, the support they have coming with that front three just off them. There's a real chance you need to play three at the back with two wingbacks, whoever takes on Palmeiras at this point, with the way that they're running the show offensively, which sounds very American. Um, but I do think they, they, they really left themselves exposed and playing a high line. I understand the desire to try and fight fire with fire on home soil, be aggressive, but you can't afford to do that. I mean, we saw that with Independiente Del Valle when they played in Brazil and they were exposed for having not enough men back behind the ball at times and playing a high line and Palmeiras got in behind them time and time again. And a similar thing happened, not as frequently. And it was the diagonal runs that Ronnie's making, which are so difficult for defenders to pick up because nobody's really sure as he comes across who's meant to be tagging him who's got the who's got the run is it the right back is it the center back on the right side is it the center back on the left and by then it's too late they're all stood around watching who should have him and he's sticking it in the back of the net so the approach may have been wrong from the argentinians but again it's difficult to pin down how you should approach this Palmeiras side when they're in this sort of form on the continent
0: really really tough they're that good and i love the blend of youth and experience in their side as well you've got luis adriano coming back in there and then you just got some of the some of the young players you know Renan started he scored a match day 1 um, and that's you not know, even mentioning so many other quality footballers they got so we could talk about Palmeiras and we will continue to talk about Palmeiras throughout the competition because they're that good but what about the other game in group A Ollie in a really big win for Independiente del Valle 4-0 against Universitario I mean they lost 5-0 as you referred to there to Palmeiras last time out um It it was a win they desperately, desperately needed, especially the host Palmeiras tomorrow night. We're recording this on Monday. So on Tuesday, I think, or maybe it might be early morning Wednesday time. Um, Yeah, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday they're playing. So uh, yeah, I mean, that's just an absolutely huge game against Palmeiras, but a big win, a win they needed. And a win that really puts them right back in contention in Group A.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And and it's an impressive victory as well to bounce back. You know, you lose 5-0 to then... The next game, you go and put four past Universitario, who are, as we've said, the whipping boys of this group in a very tough group, but to do it in impressive fashion. And also, similarities to some of the goals, if you really want to draw parables between Palmeiras and Independiente del Valle this week, you look at the pass that Pedro Vite put on for Sanchez's Mm. first goal. It's a lovely, lovely ball into Sanchez and a great finish. It's it's Sanchez coming back into form and actually playing a, a slightly similar role to Honi on that left side coming in. Uh, scoring two cracking goals as well. The second one, the dummy from Pejerano, that allows yeah. Sanchez to have a little bit more time as the ball comes across the top of the eighteen-yard box, and Pejerano looks at it and he's like, "I'm not going to have that. Thank you very much." And it's then really nice, yeah. And then Sanchez curls it home. They they got a bit of luck with the with the second goal for Murillo. Uh, Christian Ortiz is. The fourth was very simple for them, but it's the impressive performance that they needed to bounce back. It, as I say, it keeps them right in this group, uh, going for second place against Defensa Eusticia. It's it's all anybody in this group can hope for at this point right now. So an important victory for them.
0: Yeah, and match day six is Defensa Eusticia home against IDV. Yeah, you just wonder about whether that one will, um, you know, that 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 one might decide who finishes second in the group and who goes into the last sixteen. Uh, in the tournament. Christian Ortiz now with four goals for the tournament. We've got a lot of players. We'll talk about this a little bit later, I think, with Gabby Goal and the like, Ollie. but we've got a lot of players who are racking up the goals early doors in this competition.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least we're not going to be thinking about the golden boot winner is going to be somebody who scores them all in the qualifying stages this year. We're going to have somebody who's genuinely bagging the goals in the group stage and throughout the tournament. Um, Ortiz has been the fire in the front line for Independiente Del Valle, uh, a, a big Big loss when he's not been playing for them in this competition. Um, But as I say, I think I'm just really pleased to see somebody like Sanchez, who was so good two years ago and then really seemed to lose his way with Independiente del Valle. And he's played a few times this year. Now, he hasn't played in every group game for, for the Ecuadorians and not in every game of this tournament either in terms of the qualifying stages. But when he has played, the performances, and more importantly for me, the attitude and the energy is there. Now I was chatting with um, Joel Richards, who covered the game. Obviously, friend of the show. I think we're allowed to call it that. We called it a network last week. I think a show <laughs> is probably better to call it. Bone and... pushing it
0: to be honest, but yeah,
1: <laughs> it's technically a show. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah, still yeah. there. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and and he was he was suggesting for all. I mean, you can talk about the Peserano, uh, dummy. The the way he sometimes does kind of ne- neatly pull the strings. In the midfield for Independiente Del Valle, he was making the case that perhaps he needs to retire or at least step away from being the leader in the heart of that pitch. A, because they seem to have a crop of really good youngsters coming through that can perhaps fill in that role. But also he is a bit of a liability and gives the ball away quite a lot. So do you think Pejerano's elder statesman position in that side should be under threat or do you think he's an integral part still a useful body to have in there for experience on the pitch and as a leader and somebody that has been there before when there are all these still a few fairly untested youngsters around them
0: Mm. from what i've seen he's still and granted i'm not watching as many 90 minute idv games as joel richard's probably but from what i've seen He's still pretty important for this side Ollie and there is a lot of young players in this side and I think just to have that calming influence of in Pashirano is really important sitting in front of the back. I know that you can you can become kind of reliant on that figure and if you take him out of that side perhaps everything gets a little bit pacier, a little bit more two-touch, whereas Pace wants to take the ball, he wants to look to his left, look to his right, he wants to just play in the centre circle, he wants to have a chat with the referee, he wants to just pull the strings from that position. Whereas if you took him out of the side in terms of the evolution of the side, and IDV are one side that really have managed to evolve and reinvent themselves over the last five years or so. I mean, the thing is, it's not like you have to make a decision because time will just make that decision. So mm. he got, you know, he's not going to play forever. Paysurana, maybe this is his. I mean, he what thirty eight, thirty nine, maybe he's maybe he's not quite that old. I think he's a little yeah. younger. He's okay. not in yeah, Rocky baby.
1: Santa Cruz territory yet. He's yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah.
0: young man. No, so I still think he's got like at least this year and, and maybe next. Um, and you just just looking at that IDV side now, and yeah, like as you said, Vite has been pretty impressive. You've seen little glimpses from him. Um, Hatado Cheme as well, like looks 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 quite lively. Pacho, uh, the
1: the young centre back as well, has come in yeah. and hasn't really made any huge errors except for the two that he had against Palmeiras. But uh, for him to come in and recover in this game, you know uh, they kept faith with him, put him in that, the heart of that back line. He was the anchor in the back three again uh, and had a near perfect game pretty much uh, against Universitario. Uh, just back on the Pecherano I thing, you look at yeah, Efrén Mera on. Hmm on the substitutes bench, who was that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is he getting too old for it? And Pejerano looked young compared to Efren Bear a couple of years ago. And he's now evolved to being a leader and a figurehead, but sat on the sideline. So they do understand. It seems at the club, at least regardless of who's manager, that there are figures that sometimes you need to just put them out to pasture away from the rest of the crowd and allow some of the youngsters through, but pejerano's still making it.
0: Yeah, I think he is. And um, yeah, I mean, it's uh we we spoke about it with the strikers last week and it's hard to do, I think, when, when players have got that experience and they're integrated into the side to kind of to, to move them on and to to move players on that have contributed so much to the football club and do it tactfully uh, and not kind of disrupt things in the dressing room as well, I think is is pretty tricky but um yeah, I mean, it sets up uh, Group A really nicely, I think, for the remaining three games. Look, Palmeiras, uh, they're cruising. They're going to be through. Universitario, are, as you say, the whipping boys of the group. But that second spot is whoever goes through. It's the kind of side that won't just be in the last 16 to make up the numbers, Oli. Like, if Defensive East mm-hmm. go through or IDV, both of them can lean on enough recent history to think, well, if we get a bit of luck here, if we can finish there, if that happens, if we can avoid Palmeiras and Flamengo, anything could happen. So it's one of those groups that it actually really matters who goes through there because if they do go through well, one of these two sides of course will go through um they you know anything could happen i think in the knockout phases uh group b mr wilson Let's talking international. international yeah <laughs> he's got a smile on his face <laughs> international 6 olympia 1 international now scored 10 goals in the past two games um well first of all can we talk about the overhead kick from Caio vidal Right at at the end, just because it's just, I mean, I think it's goal of the week. It's a beautiful bicycle kick um, from the young man. He's kind of backpedaling a little bit, which makes it even more special. A lot of overhead kicks sometimes. You see players, they've kind of set themselves. I'm thinking maybe Gareth Bale and the Champions League final players have set themselves. But Kyle Vidal just... uh, yeah, he just does so well to kind of backtrack and and produce this beautiful bicycle kick to make it six one. Uh, before that, it was they were just totally dominant internationally. And uh, Yuri Alberto was very impressive, uh, bagged a goal for himself, could have scored more actually. And perhaps Miguel Angel Ramirez, the Miguel Angel Ramirez era, Oli is really up and up and running now.
1: Well, if it. <laughs> It seems that way with ten goals in two games. I mean, you <laughs> cannot argue at the uh, the last two scorelines that Internacional have put up, and in particular, I think more poignantly against Olympia. This isn't against a uh, Deportivo Táchira or somebody like no. that. No disrespect to those teams, but this is arguably the second best side in the group. The side that we thought was probably mo- most likely to compete for perhaps top spot with Internacional just doesn't look the case now. This was a whitewash. Uh, Victor Cuesta, two goals in two games in the Libertadores. Another header from a set piece. The Argentinian centre-back coming up top. I actually thought, though, Thiago Gachado's second goal mm. was perhaps the best goal of the game. I know an overhead kick's an overhead kick, right? But it's a because wonderfully how classy goal. Yeah, it's yeah. a wonderfully classy goal. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's superb, the finish. And I yeah that that for me just seemed a little more spectacular uh, an overhead kick spectacular but for me an mm. overhead kick you know you want a bit more like top corner maybe and getting <laughs> a little cleaner or something you know sure, where is not Trevor
0: sinclair he's not interested
1: there's always an element of luck to a lot of the overhead kicks that we see right and mm. you can point out sinclair rooney um you know the uh was it manzukic had an incredible one in a champions yeah. league final for juventus stuff like that but Uh, The Ronaldo one, of course, as well. No, Bale's against Liverpool. Bale, yeah. Anyway, Um, Ronaldo's against Madrid for Juventus, or am I getting those
0: the other way around? Uh, Yeah, just before we moved to Juve, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Um,
1: Yeah. I digress, going on through Europe's greatest (laughs) overhead kicks. We'll save that for a separate (laughs) podcast in the off-season. But I think a lot of them do have a big element of luck, whereas to see a finish like Thiago Gachado's second, the way it is... Thiago uh, Gallardo, excuse me, is, his second is executed. It's perfectly executed of how he wanted to do it, yeah. which is why I think it just raises the bar a little bit more for me. But he was awesome uh, on the night. Edge Nielsen, the penalty, any any comments on the run-up? It was another Hasselbank style, like there slow isn't really one.
0: No. like there No, but I mean, there isn't really a run-up. It's almost like these players think the shorter your run-up can be, the... The kind of nicer it looks on the eye maybe I mean if it goes in <laughs> it looks great I mean we won't even talk about Sergio Aguero's penalties um, this past weekend because <laughs> it actually just infuriated me and I don't want people to remember Aguero's winning goal um, to win the title I want people to remember Sergio Aguero for that missed no
1: penalty. you oh dear oh dear <laughs> you're losing all of the Argentinian fans now on this podcast surely you know what I want I want Aguero's crowning moment at Manchester City to be the wasteful Penenka which oh, of I know you hate anyway.
0: <laughs> he's uh, I just think, I mean, listen, Sergio Aguero is a, an unbelievable footballer and he, he, he potentially has the most iconic, apart from Michael Thomas, he potentially has the most iconic moment in the history of English football, which is just beautiful. But mm. the, the penalty, mm. I don't really understand it, just put it in the back of the net. Uh, what, are we, what are we talking about, Oli? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but the goal, you're absolutely right, from, um, from Thiago Gallardo. It was, it, it's, I just love that kind of composure in such a tight space inside the penalty area. And it's easy mm. to do, isn't it? When you're when you're absolutely steamrolling aside, but but just to have that cuteness and the little little chip precocious finish as well, it's lovely. So, Inter, I mean, wow, yeah, ten and two,
1: six goals uh, for Inter—the second time in the competition's history that Inter have scored six goals. Uh, I won't tease you with can you guess who it was and what year Windsor, because it was 1989—a six-two victory over Uruguayan giants Peñarol for Olympia, though. It's not the first time they've conceded six. It's not the first time they've been defeated by such similar hefty margins. They lost in 2012 to Lanus six nil, and back in 2000 when Club America were in the competition, an eight-two thumping they received, which That's is good history,
0: man. Yeah, they've got they've got
1: you know a record of this sort of yeah. shenanigans taking but, place. But you in the are Lintadores. absolutely
0: right when you when you talk about Olympia, and we don't want to lean too much on history when the year's twenty twenty one, but they <laughs> they are, you know, what, three time winners of the competition, multiple finalists. You know, this is a big, big football club. And to get humbled like that is is really and in the manner they did it as well. I mean the second half display it was just it was just so dominant from Internacional. And you know, below that Palmeiras Flamengo tier there's there's two or three Brazilian sides that, that will feel as though they can go really deep. I think I think we're
1: getting to that point of what we kind of started talking about last year on the podcast is Brazil could start taking over this continent Mm. and you see the gulf in one of the best from Paraguay and certainly one of the best considering what happened in the league last year with Inter in Brazil but still just an unprecedented result the chasm between these two in quality on the night was quite extraordinary
0: yeah um yeah the Brazilian dominance is really something that You you can just you can see you can feel it's not just backed up by the numbers and the logic of how good these Brazilian sides are and how much money they've got. It's it's backed up by that just gut feeling that, you know, the the uh, the 2020s could be it could be a Brazilian decade for sure. The other game, Oli, always ready to Deportivo, Tachira nil. I mean, always ready. Beat Inter on match day one. Then they were 1 0 up against Olympia away from home in in, uh, in Asuncion. And Olympia did score a couple of late goals and won that game. But now, Always Ready, you know, they've beaten Tebu Tachira. Yeah, people are throwing the caveats, La Paz and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, Always Ready have six points in the opening three games. They're level with Inter and the top of the group, albeit Inter ahead because they've got a better goal difference. But Always Ready. <laughs> would <you> really? say <laughs> got a better goal difference? <laughs> I would never have thought that. <laughs> um, it was really just, yeah, I mean, fantastic start for them.
1: Look, I've said it before, I've said it again, Marcus Ovejero is just a terrier in the front line. He is, mm. I was trying to think, I was thinking about this earlier today. He is the quintessential South American footballer that will never make it on any other continent of football. But what he does in South America and the style that he goes about it, you accept it, particularly in in the Libertadores, particularly uh, on home soil in Bolivia. He must be horrible to defend against because he's scrappy, he's fighty. But when he gets a bit of space, he doesn't move with a flow and he doesn't glide across the pitch. It's quite almost stampy. It's exactly what you'd expect from a a fairly short. And stocky is the correct term because he's not, chunky or anything he's just solid he's built short but solid and it makes him so difficult to deal with and contend with and I was so pleased he got his goal after 24 minutes in this game against Deportivo Tachira who, who did very little in the end always ready controlled large parts of this game yep. um, and uh, maybe a soft penalty at the end maybe the, the scoreline is a is reflective of the game but a little harsh still on Tachira but maybe, the maybe, Bolivians yeah. were good
0: um, yeah, uh, John Mosquera puts it away. The penalty on 82 minutes. I don't. He had a spell in Germany. Don't remember him though. Not at all. Do you? No, no. A little spell in Germany, and then he was in like Denmark and China. A bit of a varied career. But um, yeah, and then the next two fixtures coming up this week, always ready, home against Olympia. You know, Deportivo uh, Tachira at home against Inter. But if you look at that, and always ready, they've got to be thinking. Hang on, Inter have just been battered. Uh, Olympia just been battered at Inter. We got, we're riding high here. If they can pick up three points, they're well on their way to the last 16.
1: And again, we don't want to bark on about it, but it's difficult to go to Bolivia and play these teams at altitude. And, yeah. and this is going to be a really tough game for Olympia to get a result. You know, it, if always ready, uh, are able to do the business, it doesn't really matter about the margin. They've got a three-point advantage over Olympia. You, it would make it very tough for the Paraguayans with two games to go to eat into that. And there may also be, you know, if Inter and Always Ready can both go through with a draw and things like that, you may start thinking about that. I'm not saying there would be any collusion, but it has happened before with sides that are willing to, well, this works out for both of us if we just kind of play this out this way. This is bad news for Olympia at the moment, and they, they really do need a victory, I think, or at least a share of the spoils coming out of Bolivia this week.
0: Yeah, I agree. Let's go on to Group C. Santos 5 the strongest nil I mean it's a it's a great result for Santos it's a result that they absolutely needed make no mistake about that before we talk about the game Ollie, I want to get the stat in because I think you might have it as well I'm not sure but okay so Santos has scored 13 goals in the group stages and qualification and uh, uh, what have I got 5 of their 13 goals scores in the Copa Libertadores this year have been scored by teenagers. And the starting lineup is just every time you look at it, it's ridiculously young. Ridiculous like Marcus Leonardo, this is the starting lineup um, against the strongest. Marcus Leonardo is a teenager. Gabriel Pirani's pretty young, I think. Same for Vinicius. Kaiki's a teenager. Um, you know, Jorge is what twenty-one. They got they got uh, Angelo on the bench, who uh, was the youngest scorer in Copa Liberta or second youngest scorer in Copa Liberta's history, I mm-hmm. think. So, um, or maybe maybe the youngest, can't remember. But anyway, youngest, either way, youngest. the youngest, yeah. It's a it's a ridiculously young Santos side. Um, and I mean, we can't talk really about Santos's result without talking about the Barcelona Boca game almost in tandem, Oli, because. All roads lead to Santos against Boca this week in the Copa Libertadores because Boca uh, lost, of course, against Barcelona.
1: I, I do want to say on Santos, this result is important, but it is against the strongest. It is a caveat that needs to be mentioned. These squads are so big. There is still a lot of talent in this Santos side it doesn't come i know they've had their woes already in the couple Libertadores. it doesn't come as much of a surprise though that they get the job done emphatically against the brazilians this week uh, the brazil uh, the Bolivians, sorry because because they were really poor defensively i mean you only look at the opener and how wide open i mean marinho is the poster boy of this santos side and he 60 is seconds in in acres well. of space after yeah. 60 seconds yeah it's it's ludicrous um so, look, it's it's great they've got this young side. It's a much-needed victory. It's a big victory. It eats into that goal difference, certainly helps for them. And it's very important. It's one that the Brazilians fans would have expected and pretty much been demanding, though, by this point.
0: Yeah, that, true. But for me, look, this is a post-Soteldo era that they've got to live in now. <laughs> and, and, yeah, like... The strongest aren't very good. I mean, Barcelona put four past them, Boca won at their place. No, they're not very good. I mean, well, they've, they've uh, goals 4-0, goals against 10 in three games in, in in Group C, so it's not it's not particularly pretty. But I just think that Santos know they've got quality. We saw that in qualification. We saw it in last year. Yes, Soteldo was an absolutely imperative part of that, but they still do have good players. I don't think this group, and I don't think this Boca side is so good that it's impossible that... Uh, Santos is at their place, isn't it? Yeah, Santos home against Boca. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that Boca is so good that Santos can't go into that thinking, you know, being pretty confident.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, the yeah, only Especially thing with is, Boca,
0: is... you know, with what Boca did, I know they rested and rotated, and we can talk about that, Oli, but yeah.
1: Boca's defence is still Boca's defence. I mean, yeah. they only conceded one against the Barcelona side that gave them absolutely everything. Again, Barcelona were very good on home soil against the Argentinians and almost... Relentless in their attacks, and still Boca were able to weather most of the storm um, without their starting goalkeeper as well, without Armani, which is something I'm sure you'll be happy to kind of touch on about as well. Andrade, com- sorry, um, yeah, as the yeah. complexities of uh, of his situation and in a in a starting eleven, out of a starting eleven, positive, negative with COVID tests, but um, in terms of. Boca they've still got that great foundation. They it's always with Boca. They need somebody to light the fire going forward still. And when they don't have that when they can't utilize Vija as well as as they would like to against other sides like they couldn't this week. I mean it's just it's just impossible. They they they're floundering without an out and out forward or without a real attacking presence in that in that starting 11. And look they rested everybody, you know, half the half the starting 11s on the bench, you know, Vija's not even in the squad. Tevez isn't in the starting 11 like it's, I don't it's know why quite... Boca have taken their foot off the gas.
0: But I mean, that is a bold call from Miguel Anjuruso. Like, I know it's a lot of travel. I know they've got things to think about domestically. But as you say, Vigia doesn't travel. Tevez comes off the bench quite late. I mean, <laughs> it's a really punchy... It's a really punchy move knowing that they've got to go to Santos next and Santos win. Suddenly, Boca and Santos are both on six points with only two games to go. And you're thinking, Jesus, like, listen, I think Boca will probably go to Santos and get a draw or better. But at the same time, I think it's, um, yeah, it was a punchy move. Really interesting uh, decision from from the boss. Um, As for Barcelona, let's give him a bit of credit. I mean, Carlos Gárces scored Barcelona's, he scored their first goal in their three games in this group so far and the first goal is always so crucial he's in a rich vein of form looks really like he's just a poacher in the box isn't he really really good mm-hmm. um uh, yeah, i just want to talk about mario piñeda as well who set up the garces goal <laughs> i don't know whether i've just got a little bit of a You've
1: waxed lyrical about yeah, him before may- already, maybe,
0: yeah maybe maybe too much but he just i was looking at him and i was just looking at his history this week and 28 years of age actually left idv in 2015 which is an interesting time to leave IDV in their history with a Libertadores final the next year and all sorts. So I wonder if there's a something that sort of keeps him up at night. Not sometimes. too smart, but, mate.
1: Not too smart. No,
0: but I just think he's maybe he's one of those players, Ollie. That listen, he's a full, he's a 28 year old fullback that's never left South America. He's not, he, he's not going to be spotted or seen or spoken about, is he? And he's not going, to... He, he's not. But yeah. at the same time, he's really really good. Like he's, he's really fun. really he's fun. He bombs down that left hand side. He's always. Oh, his delivery's exceptional. And uh, yeah, I I just really like it. Barcelona, one of only three clubs in the Copa Libertadores this year not to concede a goal, Ollie, Three wins from three, nine points on the board and with Santos hosting Boca um, this week and Barcelona traveling to the strongest. I mean, they could wrap things up after match day four.
1: Are we both in agreement that this is the... Uh, Barcelona are the best side in this group. They are actually the best in quality.
0: Um, I, I'd want to see Boca's first eleven against Barcelona.
1: Okay. I mean, it's interesting that you know, as you as you mentioned, the host of changes. Alan Varela, a nineteen-year-old teenager playing the, the central middleman role. I mean, it's, it's 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 a bit ludicrous to be that that, I guess, a, a fulcrum. It's the word I'm looking
0: for in the heart that's of the a, pitch. That's a word. That's a word in the English language. It's <laughs> yeah. a word. Yeah, it
1: does <laughs> exist. That's good. Um, you know, Haro's a bit of a bit part player. Javier Orbaño is, you know, fine, but not anything special yeah. as a youngster up top. It's yeah, it, it's gutsy from Miguel Angel Russo. It's quite, quite ballsy. I wonder if he was maybe hoping. I can't remember if which game came first or if they are at the same time. I wonder mm. if he was hoping maybe Santos continued to stumble.
0: Mm. Or, or he's just like listen if, if Bocca can go to Santos and take a point then he might think yeah okay that, w- that was a good decision then to rest rest Vigi. I mean Vigi's just he's such an important player for them he really is um, Andrada look I mean I don't really know the complete ins and outs I'm just repeating what I've kind of read and seen don't have a, I don't have an into Andrada's inner circle but it does I mean it is so he travels with the side tests negative then test positives so can't play i mean there's a lot of just testing positive and negative and this all came apparently from uh andrada's wife who threw a party and a few people got covid and and this kind of stuff so um yeah i mean listen i'm thou shall not judge ollie so who knows but uh, should go and uh, get the,
1: a, should go and get a vaccine at the Monumental.
0: <laughs> we, we can maybe talk about that story a little bit later uh, the capaldo <laughs> should probably mention capaldo absolutely well Clattering into his well, he didn't really clatter into his own man, did he? he pushed, yeah, <laughs> pushed the Barcelona player, and he in turn clashed into Rusa. But it was Capaldo's fault,
1: yeah. Uh, bulldozed over his yeah. manager via was it, um, God.
0: was it Pineda on that left I bank? I can't, I can't remember who it was, but he yeah, yeah. But um, it really took him out. This wasn't like a manager that slipped and fell. I mean, he wiped no, this was a out body blow a man in his yeah fifties or early sixties, <laughs> maybe yeah. not a
1: young guy. No, I mean that could have been. Miguel Ángel R- Russo was quite good about it, and uh, the Bar- the Barcelona player was very quick to be like, "Whoa, I didn't. I am sorry," yeah. which was quite important, I think, because that's one of those moments that you could have easily seen mm. in a tight game and a big game in this group flaring up and then lighting the, the blue touch paper to turn this into an absolute kick image <laughs> yeah, for the yeah. for the end of it. This and instead it, it was happen. it was yeah, it was all settled very amicably, which was, yeah, was weird. It was, Not used it to very that. it was
0: very peaceful. <laughs> but it was you know, that is an athlete that is a 20 something year old prime athlete hurtling towards you. <laughs> that would, I mean that's gonna hurt though. like it's a comedy moment, but it's also like, oh Jesus, that was um it's quite punchy. All right, I think that wraps up Group C Ollie. I mean, can I ask you for a sort of a, a little prediction then this uh, Santos Bocca, I mean, it's a standout um, match in a standout game in match day four. What, what do you reckon?
1: Uh, a Bocca will win. Bocca will win on the road. One nil. Quite boring. I think Santos all. There's, it's a big result, but again, it's not that impressive for me. The victory over the strongest, it's it's a result that was there. It's more of like a showpiece statement. You bring out your your one trick pony for a big session to get everybody <laughs> rejuvenated again, and then one five nil, mate, and then it goes away. Yeah, <laughs> against against without a doubt the weakest team in the group. That's why you know, <laughs> sure. that's why the, it's the same as if, the Independiente if, del Valle result. Sure, they they if, battered Universitario. And it was a result that needs to happen, but it's not necessarily the result that we should get excited about. There are, there are way tougher tasks that the Santos side is going to face. And whether the mix of like these really young teenagers and a few old heads is going to work against a, a Bocca side, that, look, they're still looking for revenge as well, Boca Juniors. You know, yeah. be, they will love the fact that they could potentially put Santos out of this
0: competition, without a doubt. If they'd won 9-0, would you have been impressed? No, I'd have been more embarrassed for the strongest. <laughs> in fact, you would have gone you would have doubled down more and like it basically doesn't count. It's a comedy of errors, yeah. <laughs> um it's, it's, I, it's a joke. I, <laughs> they
1: shouldn't be in shouldn't be in the competition. This is meant sure. to be the best clubs. Yeah, nobody yeah. in this tournament should be getting beaten by more than four goals. Yeah wherever no, they're playing.
0: I remember reading really, I remember Middlesbrough once losing like seven or eight nil in the Premier League, and there was an article saying that nobody like it is, it is genuinely almost unacceptable. There's a point. I don't know whether it's the fifth goal or when a side, you know, concedes six. Mm. But there's a point where it's like you haven't conceded those six goals purely down to inferior technical ability. Do you know what I mean? Like two or three of those goals are just mentality issue because you know you can you can. It doesn't need to be like that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think Boca will get a point, a nil nil or one one in Brazil, and that that will pretty much be okay for them with 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 two games to go.
1: Barça topped the group, Boca below them, Santos into the combo ball Sudamericana.
0: Yeah, something like that, I think. Yeah, fair. Let's talk about Group D. Um, yeah, let, let's kick off with with Santa Fe nil, River Plate nil. I mean, it's mm. another kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Estás un poco cansado. Yeah, it was a bit <laughs> boring. I mean. It, it was a bit boring. I think, you know, again, it's it's punchy for Marcelo Gachado. You know, he's rested and rotated. Um, I said at the top of the show that when Boca and River rest and rotate, they don't really win. And the Brazilian mm. sides do. But, I, I, you know, I thought um, Federico Girotti, the young man who, who kind of led the line for River, was impressive. On another day, to be honest, he scores a couple of goals, I think, Oli. Like, he was very lively, busy, had a couple of good chances, couldn't take them. That would have looked, obviously, like a much better result for River. Uh, Santa Fe had one chance that I saw, and it was a mistake from Leonardo Ponzio, who is nearly 40, I think he's 39. Really good save for Um, Yeah, not too much to take from this game. We know what River do in the group stages. They kind of stutter and stumble and get through anyway. So uh, certainly when you look at the group on paper, you'd think that Junior and Santa Fe still have a great chance. So maybe Junior do, but, um, you know, the, the reality is that that'll suit. Anyone will draw away from home. That, that's fine for Gashardo and River. <laughs>
1: You know why this game wasn't that important to River, don't you? You know the the real telltale whether a game's important or not with River.
0: Nicolás Cruz doesn't start.
1: No, no. Marcelo uh, Gachado's oh, wearing the, wearing. <laughs> wearing the T-shirt underneath the suit jacket this week. If it's a big Libertadores game, he's yeah. shirt jacket trousers if it's mm. a league game during the libertadores campaign and they're prioritizing the copper lib it's the track suit it's the mm. you know basically comes out in jeans and a t-shirt uh Cougar style cuckoo style yeah <laughs> if it, this week he comes out with the libertadores jacket and trousers but a plain black t-shirt underneath and that's mm. where you just show he's getting a bit casual about this one ah, it's okay guys yeah. don't worry about it too much um there are a few things to take from the Jorge Carrascal. Barged over by Jason Palacios. Uh, big shout for a penalty. Wasn't given. To me, it looked like shoulder to shoulder. I could see a referee giving it on another night. Uh, yeah, Girotti was was awesome. Had four really good attempts, to be honest. And as you say, on another night, could have grabbed at least a couple. Uh, Heiser hitting the post as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a decent effort. And River were the better side, without a doubt. They Probably were. should have come away with three points. And... I think you always feel a little more secure with River resting their players than Boca because River have a style and system that we know and you feel that players coming into that know the style and system as opposed to Boca just still seems a bit more erratic. Boca's based around a solid defensive line and then everything else going forward is just kind of make it up as you go along. River seem to have a little bit more structure of standard and practices in how they go about playing their football. So when Gachado does bring people in, he knows that that person fits in that spot. He knows that person can do this and this, and somebody else can cover that area. So I think it's a little better woven together. But a nil-nil, nil-nil draw, it wasn't that exciting a game. I guess a solid point on the road, you'd probably say, for River. Because any points on the road in the Libertadores are always useful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, th- I think so. And... um yeah, Fluminense and River both got five points in the top two places in in the group. Of course, the result... And that game was, I should say, that game was played... We should say that uh, it was played in Asuncion, Santa Fe, River... Santa Fe nil, River nil was played in Asuncion, not Colombia because of the... Um, there was like protests and riots and stuff in Colombia. So quite a few games got moved around across the board. Um, yeah. junior-, <laughs> junior won, <laughs> Fluminense won. Um Yeah, I mean... Miguel Borja scored a penalty after 11 minutes, his fifth goal in the tournament so far. Uh, then there's a man who I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about. We spoke about him last week, Kaiki, score for Fluminense, the teenager who is destined for Manchester City. Still not quite sure, need to need to read up actually on exactly where, is he going to go to City or as you mentioned last week, Oli, is he going to be loaned back? I mean, he's certainly a young man. I know he's been in good form domestically as well. So um, he's, the, he's the kind of player that you'll you will see a lot of clips of on uh, on Twitter and the like. Um it was an open game actually. Lot lots of chances. Um, and yeah, what one, one piece is probably a fair result for myself.
1: Yeah, uh, I was going to say the draw was probably about right. I actually think Junior edged it in terms of clear cut chances created. Um but the Brazilians away from home maybe a bit more cautious. We know that Brazilian sides tend to play within themselves a bit more when they when they're away from home anyway. And Junior it was a soft penalty to get inside the first 15 minutes but Miguel Borja you know tucks it away he's been in good form in this competition so far and he and um, uh, John Pajoy uh, were were very good as the front line and had a number of chances to actually add to the opportunities and and add to the score sheet hit hit the crossbar a couple of times but uh, points a fair result I I like this group it's it's been more entertaining than I thought it was going to be there was a worry the Argentinian and Brazilian side would run away with it but again Junior a bit like Barcelona finally have just taken that extra step up and can compete with the uh with the Brazilians and Argentinians at least in this group stage at the moment there could still be a surprise in this group do you not feel
0: well yeah I'm looking at the fixtures coming up Fluminense home against Santa Fe you'd fancy Fluminense to win that but Junior home against River that's the one really like if Junior are going to qualify that that's the one that they've I don't think they can afford to draw that even. That would leave River on six points. Junior still four points off him with two games to go. Um, Mm. You know, and River would still have to play, uh, you know, Santa Fe at home and Fluminense at home. So yeah, I think that's a a really big one, Junior at home against River.
1: Massive. And again, you wouldn't put it past Junior to Mm -hmm. give him a good go. It depends what Gachado does with the team. If they go full starting 11, then that should be a result that's positive for River, whether a draw or a victory. If not, you know, there's a fine line between genius and madness when it comes to rotating and resting these players, particularly with the squads that these Argentinian sides have. And it, it, it's gutsy if you if you don't get it right, you can be, uh, I think, as Alan Partridge would say, up Slack Alley. So,
0: sure, that's that's one for our um, foreign language <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. But and I also think it's so dangerous, isn't it? Because if um, you know if Girotti scores one of those chances, or if Boca sneak a nil-nil, then you you completely change, and you, we would have talked for 15 minutes maybe about a different narrative about how clever Boca are, how great they are defensively, how they don't concede goals, how they're going to go all the way. So you've always got to be careful to, to kind of extricate yourself from from that. Um, yeah, let's uh, Group E, Oli. I don't want to um, spend a large portion of my life talking about the results in, in Group E because it was Racing nil, Sao Paulo nil, and Rentistas nil, Sporting Cristal nil.
1: Yeah, not the best results again. After last week, we had 1-0-0 in the competition. Mm. A few more have just snuck in. <laughs> snuck in this week, not having that. Uh, look, Rentista's against Sporting Cristal, just to quickly kind of go over it, Washington Caruso, um, the former Independiente del Valle player, of course, who went to the and won the Copa Sudamericana final in 2019. Don't know why I feel a need to keep getting that in. Oli had <laughs> Oli's, so Oli's going to follow
0: all of these footballers that were in that squad until the end of their careers, right?
1: <laughs> wait wait for the Netflix documentary when it comes out of IDV 2019, Where Are They Now? It, it's going to go beautiful, big. It's going to be beautiful. for the hipsters. Um, we'll, we'll gloss over this very quickly, I think, but Caruso had so many chances for Sporting Cristal, actually. Uh, the Peruvian side should have done better away from home. Rentistas though, are, are still a very enjoyable team to watch in how they go about their football. They're, they created opportunities for themselves as well. It wasn't an end-to-end encounter. It wasn't filled with a gluttony of, of great chances. But it wasn't necessarily like a stalemate boring nil-nil just neither side had that final bit of quality in the final third be it the final ball or the final attempt on goal um yeah i mean you know you look at franco perez for instance he has that moment early on where he breaks away and it's like oh all he's got to do is just stay mm. composed and finish it and then he has like a mistouch and kind of stumbles a bit and then it all just goes a bit horribly wrong and and then it's all over and done with and the chance is wasted and you're kind of sure. thinking what could have been <laughs> so yeah uh, those two aren't going to make a big impact in the group if we have a look at wrestling against sao paulo though unless unless you've got anything to add on rentistas and no 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 <laughs> um, you know, yeah, i
0: mean i was just going to say that rentistas next up home against sao paulo and what a yeah it's always a shame that there aren't fans in the ground right but for a little yeah. club in uruguay Rentistas, like the chance for you know Hernan crespo and sao paulo this this Massive Brazilian club won it numerous times to, to come to their place. It would have been such a buzz, but Celeve.
1: Um, Sao Paulo against Racing. I was quite disappointed with the Brazilians, in all honesty. Gave it a, a good go at times. Um, the, uh, the left wing back, Rinaldo, looked uh, a threat, bombing up and down the flank. I'm still undecided what Dani Alves is doing on a football pitch. Like, what is his role?
0: His role is to be Danny Alves, and his role okay. is to be like, look, I'm Danny Alves. Remember, like, remember what I did at Barcelona. Remember, and I still, uh, the first time I watched him play, I watched him play for Sevilla. I remember thinking, I have never. I must have been quite young because that was that was a long time ago now, right? Mm. The first time when he played fit when he's coming through. I remember thinking I have never ever seen a right back influence a football match as much as he has done. Never seen a fullback influence a game as much. So I'm a, I'm a massive Danny Alvarez fan. But um you know he's coming to the end of his career and he's not he he can't he can't really afford for his level to be mu- drop off much more I don't think Ollie. Just because mm. this is a good side and they've got a good coach and they could win it this year. So it's you know he he can't just be there there can't be any nostalgia from Hernan Crespo you know if we get to the last 16 or the last eight and he's got to make a big decision I mean he's going to play Danny Alves throughout the, the the tournament he's in the you know he, he's the he's the club captain he's um yeah he's gonna play but uh yeah I don't know at some point it, the, there'll be a tough decision for Hernan Crespo to make
1: it's easier with a Pejerano even if he's not having a great game because as the guy in the middle of the park he can kind of just stand there a bit doesn't have to be the box-to-box guy Whereas Dani Alves is meant to be playing on the right wing for this side. But he just roams about. He's got the same attitude, right, as a guy who was a big famous face being brought into a really bad sitcom in the U.S., who goes in and is like, I can do whatever I want on this show because I'm me and you're all struggling and you all need me. And it feels a bit like that. You can imagine him being a bit like, I played in Europe, did everything with Barcelona. I've won it all. I've played for the Brazilian international side. I was so great. I'm going to put myself at right wing back. And Crespo's like, "Uh, fine. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: I was just yeah the American sitcom analogy. I was waiting for more specificity there <laughs> to see like if you're gonna say, but I think um, I think also Oli, you might watch kind of if you just watch like 30 seconds of highlights, you'll see Danny Alves takes the free kicks and takes the corners, and he did strike the crossbar. So mm. you, you think oh okay Danny he's still involved, but he's not really. He just sort of <laughs> takes all the set pieces. So you sort of see him about. Listen, I don't want to trash Danny Alves too much because I loved him in his pomp. And uh, for all I know, he's the glue that keeps it all together in the dressing room. So, mm. so we'll see how that one. Uh, Racing,
1: uh, Racing should have won this game, by the way. I mean, so many more chances created. They have goals disallowed. Uh, what eighteen, fourteen shots to Sao Paulo's four in the end. I mean, the
0: crossbar a couple of times. Yeah.
1: I mean, Leonardo Sigali, four yards out, and Gotta you can't score. keep it down. I mean, uh, I loved the inventiveness of Eugenio Mena's chesting it in, even though it ended up being ruled out for offside. Lovely. But yeah, not thought. too many
0: Chester goals, you're right.
1: Not enough of them, to be honest. If I'm honest, yeah. not enough. That was very inventive. But yeah, uh, Novigio hit the bar as well. They had their chances, Racing. They definitely had their chances. And uh, Juan Antonio Pizzi has this side playing interesting football. And I thought they were going to really struggle against Sao Paulo after you know the first two group games and what we saw the Brazilians do. So for Racing to, to do this quite superbly I thought at times in the second half in particular where they seem to run the Brazilians a bit more ragged they're they're showing that actually after everybody thinking the Brazilians might be the best side in this group they're up there as well really giving it a good go
0: Mm. and as it stands Sao Paulo on seven points Racing on five um yeah those two two looking good Nick to to go through and Sporting Cristal home against Racing and he home against Sao Paulo next next up group F Mr. Wilson, let's go with um, Universidad Catolica three Nacional one. Um, the the main note that I've made from this game, actually from Universidad Catolica was uh, Clemente Montes, who came came on and was just immediately really lively. Scores a lovely goal, albeit it's very late on when kind of Nacional are, are pushing forwards. But I mean, he was he just he sort of gave everyone a big lift. Twenty years of age, I think he's certainly one to look out for for Universitá Cattolica. Really, really impressive, and uh, yeah, a win that Gus Poyet needed.
1: Yeah, very much so. Yeah, Montes was awesome. the the weaving run that he had, and then coming inside from the left flank and swacking it with the right boot onto the post was kind of a, a quite a good moment for the youngster to be like, "Hey, I'm here now, guys. Mm. I got this." He was really good. I thought there was a bit of controversy actually with the uh, with the Catolica second goal to go two one up because Marcelino Nunez looks offside when the ball comes towards him on the top of the 18-yard box and then he nods it back out to lay it out for uh, Valencia to to strike it. And I was surprised that wasn't given because he did seem to be... Just enough of his body was offside that it looked fairly visible. We saw it on a couple of replays, which is always helpful. No VAR in the group stage, of course. So there was a bit of good fortune there. But in general... I mean, Nassi and I were only down to 10 men late on in this game after uh, Almeida was sent off. They've been so poor, the Uruguayans. Not an enjoyable side to watch for a moment. And they haven't had a great reputation, I think, from us in the three years that now that we've been covering this tournament quite um, quite almost religiously, I'd say, uh, with the late nights and everything. You know, it's <laughs> certainly certainly giving me. our due diligence to it.
0: <laughs> but... Um, but it's it, an odd religion isn't it <laughs> if watching the Copa of but yeah you got to be like devoted sign, sign me up yeah uh, the church yeah, of think, my I home think, office yeah i think i think we've just been let down because um you know you hear so much about the history of uruguayan football and then when you see them and you're like oh right okay it's not it's not 1960 anymore. It's 2021 and things change and, you know, it's a, it's a tiny country. And Uruguay's success, the national team's success over the years, is just unbelievable. You know, a population of three or four million people, that's the same size as, you know, South London has about yeah. four million people in it. So it's a tiny, tiny country and they've done, they've punched above their weight for so long and that, you know, clearly that's represented in... in um in the domestic clubs that they've uh, they've got and that's now yeah looking pretty sorry for themselves one point from their opening three games.
1: Uh, Catolica as well reading out some names Fuenza Lida, Zampedri, Puch, uh, Conejo, Huerta I mean they're all players that have been at this side now for a few years and are constantly in the starting 11 when they're playing in the Copa Libertadores Uh, and the experience at, at times does shine through but it was interesting that they did rely on Really, Montez, his impact coming off the bench was made them a, a much better side going forward than any of those other players could do while they were on the pitch. Um, and it would and be fun to see what happens with Montez's career, because I know a number of people in South America looked at that and were like, that is a very impressive performance. Only played eight or nine games in the league last year, I believe. So he's certainly not exactly tried and tested. So it was a big moment, in fact, for his career.
0: Yeah, Definitely. And the other game, Atletico Nacional, nil. Uh, Argentinos Juniors, two. This is also played in Asuncion Paraguay, not Colombia. Argentinos Juniors, I mean, <laughs> nobody saw this coming. I mean, we didn't see it coming, but, you know, people that, you know, Pete and people that cover Argentine football much closer, than us didn't see it coming. So three wins and three, nine points. Great brace from Gabriel um, Avalos. You'd really compose finishes, and, and, yeah, they're heading for the last 16.
1: Fantastic finishes, a little bit of good fortune in the build-up to both of them with a few defensive errors and a couple of, again, bumbles in and around the 18-yard box. But look, if the Spanish-speaking and Portuguese-speaking journalists out in South America all tip Argentina's juniors to have a really rocky road in this group and there's no chance they're getting through, they'll be lucky to get third, I will go with what they're saying at that point, sure. having not watched them week in, week out. I will believe everything that's that's being said to us. But you've got to believe in a team that has the creativity of Kevin McAllister from home alone in their back line <laughs> I mean it's just something gonna go right for them when they're under duress and, and yeah, yeah. under pressure <laughs> they've come out three goal uh, three wins in three games no they they've been surprisingly good um, we spoke about it last week in the build-up play for their goals last week in their victory uh, how surprised we were that they were such a good side so fluid going forward and we didn't necessarily see that on the road this week as you probably wouldn't expect but it's another victory Uh, and odds are that they're going to be going through from this group and it's no more than they deserve from, I don't want to say plucky performances because it sounds patronizing, but they've been, they've been very good in this group. Definitely the best side without a doubt.
0: Yeah, easily. Yeah. The next two games are at home and then should they need a point right at the end, they're away at Nacional on match day six. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're all set to go through group G, Mr. Wilson. Um, Let's, let's talk about Flamengo. Well, I, I, in many ways, I think this was the best game of the round, actually. Liga de Quito 2, Flamengo 3. Um, yeah, the first half was all about Flamengo. Uh, Gabby Goal scored after three minutes. And Bruno Enrique scored a lovely goal on the half-hour mark. And then uh, Liga de Quito. Uh, Liga de Quito came back in the second half. Martinez Borja and Amarillo as well scored to make it two apiece. And then Gabby Goal, well, the penalty is won by De Arascaeta late on and Gabigol puts it away. It's kind of a clumsy foul and De Arascaeta mm. goes down. Is it a penalty? It's certainly tight. Um, either way, Flamengo, three wins from three. And I mean, I think they're just going to outscore people this this year because they are defensive. You know, you've poked at them defensively before and sometimes the line's a bit high. Sometimes you think, oh, Pablo Murray's not there anymore, of course. But uh, I mean, the way they can outscore sides, they're just great. They're just great to watch, mate. They really are.
1: Yeah, they... Do you think... this? I've got a few bits written down here that aren't necessarily to do with the match. Do you think we're desensitised, because we were talking about Gabby Gold last week, to the quality of Gabby Gold's finishing? Because the way he tucks away that first goal for them early on, any other striker in world football, everybody's saying, oh, that's, that's that trademark textbook on refinish that the great forwards know how to do and maybe because obviously it doesn't get the coverage in Europe, it doesn't get that parallel as often, and we don't necessarily hear that as much, but do you think we as watching this as South American football fans are in fear of being desensitized to how good a finisher he is?
0: Taking it for granted a bit. It's a great question. Yes, probably. I mean, I think you had it right when you said, listen, not many people watch outside of South America, not many people watch the the, the couple of group stages right so, so you don't mm. see it too much but i think that the first goal is just lovely because if you've watched gabby goal the last couple of years you know what he's going to do as well but you can't do anything about it you know he wants it on his left foot you know he's going to open up his body and you're thinking surely the keeper must know this as well but just the way he sort of opens up his body and has that great balance and tucks it away is superb he looks as good as ever gabby goal um do i think we take it for granted no because we talk about him a lot and you know last week i was saying i think he can play he could play almost not anywhere in Europe, clearly, but I think he could play at a mid-tier side in one of Europe's big five leagues. So yeah, I don't mm. think from from what I've seen and said about him, I don't think I've kind of undervalued him. Yes, there's limitations in the sense that if you don't feed him, he's not gonna he's not gonna make it all happen himself. But Jesus, if you can provide good service for him at any league on any continent, like he's gonna score a lot of goals. Just while we're on, Gabby, goal, five goals already in the tournament for him. Mm-hmm. He scored nine in their run to the final and them lifting the trophy in 2019. I mean, he's already, I, I mentioned um, earlier at the top of the show that the side that gets to the final will play 10 more games from here, right? And I think Flamengo will get to the final. So, you know, he's got 10 more games to score. If he can stay fit, if he can stay COVID-free, then he's got he's got time to score a lot of goals. The the record ever scorer in the Copa, oh, Libertadores. Yeah. Say again, mate. No, it's a he, good stat. I'm I'm looking forward you got to this. this. I, yeah. No, no, oh, okay. I can't
1: think of the name. No, I, I was oh, well, just thinking it's... that's a great one to go and have a look at. Yeah.
0: I I don't actually have the year written down, but it was I th- 60s or 70s. I mean, it's a long time ago. Daniel Ortega for River, uh, okay. and, and he scored 17 goals. And you're thinking, Jesus, that's a lot of goals. But if you look back, the way the tournament was there, I mean, and I haven't... just
1: playing the strongest every week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he um he's good. Look, I mean, I. Could Gabby go score 17, you know, could he score 12 goals in 10 games? I don't think it's impossible.
1: It's not out of the realms of possibility, He's depending got a hat on hat the, trick in who they mind. draw. He's got and a hat-trick in him. And they're probably at... going to be the second seed going into the knockout stage and how that all gets paraboled up. So they'll be playing arguably the second or third, I imagine, worst team of the second-place sides going through. So, yeah, I mean
0: yeah uh, i mean how good do you think he is i mean what i mean uh, where can he play he's,
1: he, he is that know. finisher he's a, he's just a perfect finisher and he has a great supporting cast to feed God,
0: him i almost don't like the way you say that though because you're just like
1: no he's... i'm not negating his hard work <laughs> but i also think like this everything is so perfect for him that in this Flamengo side the the possibilities are almost endless for for how good and how prolific he can be particularly in the Copa Libertadores. particularly with the way that Flamengo are having to go about this we just need to score more than everybody mm. because they, <laughs> yeah. they do concede goals so it's like fine let's just send <laughs> De Arascaeta Bruno Henrique uh, and Gabigol and let them tear up defenses as much as they want to because De Arascaeta is perhaps not as pacey uh, but is more maybe more creative with his passing. Bruno Iniki is the guy that wants to really run at defenders, but then can still distribute and lay off and likes to get down to the byline. I always like it when he does that and then tries to pull one back. And then Gabby goals there. He's a hard grafter. He can turn a man when he's got his back to goal. He can create the space for the shot quite comfortably. And he knows where the goal is all the time. And he puts himself in the position in those pockets of space inside the 18-yard box to have those one-touch finishes as well. So look, 17 probably isn't...
0: Probably it also... isn't going to happen. <laughs> he also might not, you know. Might not go again, yeah. <laughs> if, if, yeah, no. But I mean, there's there's so many variables with something like that. I mean, you look at, um, yeah, as I said, like injuries and, and and COVID and everything else, and also the fact that if Flamengo beats Unión La Calera, then Rogério Seni might just rest Gabby the last two games of the group. Right, he's got lots going on domestically, mm-hmm. so so he might do that. But I mean, if he plays him. You know, if, if Gabigol plays in the 10 remaining games that they have, assuming they get to the final, I, I, you know, he's, he's scoring seven, eight, nine goals, I think. He's just too good. And it, he's just very, very good, yeah.
1: But then again, Bruno Iniki scores the best goal of the game and perhaps the best goal of the week again because that, that hit is so early, so sweet. I I really liked it. when <laughs> I actually wrote in my notes as it's I was uh, watching it. I just wrote, oh my God, because I thought it was a <laughs> wonderful hit. Wonderful hit. <laughs> bit of curve, bit of dip. That's the religion really of South early. American football. There <laughs> it is, right there. That You're praying to the deity that is Bruno Iniki's <laughs> skull, yeah, the second yeah. for Flamengo. Credit to Liga de Quito for the fight back. Sure. Um, the Christian Borja header, and then the uh, the bundled home second. I felt a bit sorry for Caroso when he gives away that penalty at the end, only because I don't... I think he gets his leg... All, I, it's a, it is a penalty, without a doubt. But I don't think he's intended to fall in that position in the end. It looks like his leg gets caught underneath him slightly as he's going to the ground. And it just it makes it easier for him to miss the ball and bring down the man. And I think on another day, that challenge actually gets the job done in terms of taking the ball and and Liga de Quito come, perhaps come out with a point instead. Doesn't end up being that way, unfortunately, for them. But yeah, it's uh, it, at least a spirited fight back. They're just uh, still those fine margins separating them and, and a side like Flamengo.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a decent side league of the kids. I still back them to go through. Um, I think Pablo Repetto is my favorite manager to watch on the touchline. Don't know why. It might be the umbrella from match day one that kind of set me <laughs> off on him, but just watching him. he's just got such a great prowl. I think, it, I think it's awesome. Uh, the other game in this group was Union La Calera, Neil Vélez, two, um, well, massive win for Vélez, massive win for Vélez. And they're, they're home against IDV next and that puts them in the group but it just kind of brings them back into contention really their, their first win in, in three in the group they're on three points Liga de Quito on four Flamengo up and away with nine so yeah massive win for Vélez Oli
1: yeah very nice uh, team goal for their opener uh, for Vélez yeah. like shoddy defending but nice Nice build-up play and, and solid finish from Boussat. Uh And then they cap it off with the Orogino goal late on, which, again, you know, a player that didn't necessarily make the biggest impact with goal-scoring last year in the Sudamericana, but was very important for their run to the semi-finals. I mean, La Calera down to nine men by the end of it. They, it's a it's a game and almost a tournament that they're not really interested in, I think, at this point. It doesn't seem like there's any point in them trying too too much to kind of do anything, you now. It's the top three are very clear-cut, <laughs> yeah. I am I don't want to discredit these teams by saying performances are embarrassing or anything like that, but it's just sometimes the attitudes frustrate you because you still want to see competitive games of football, and and there are ways to get a get by and at least put up more of a fight against better opposition, and and sides like the strongest and like Calera this week have highlighted that they're just not able to do that or not willing to do that, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'll so. almost give sides a pass against the Brazilian teams. Just because when you stack it all up financially, there's there's a clear disparity. But against kind of Argentine sides, really there's, you know, obviously there is a financial difference between those two clubs. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm in, I'm inclined to agree with you there.
1: I feel sorry for them uh, as, as some aspect of it as well. You know, you do feel sorry for them because you, you look at the group table and Velez probably, I don't think, deserve to be on just three points at the moment after three games. Uh, they are still in the fight though for that second spot. And it's going to be interesting between them and, and Liga de Quito for the end of it. But only being two points ahead of Union La Calera now doesn't do justice to the gulf that there is between the bottom side in that group and the other three, I think.
0: That's fair. Group H, wrapping things up with Group H. Um, Atletico Minero 4, Serra Porteno nil. Um Listen. Oh. <sighs> Hulk is a different player to Gabi goal a different stage in his career, but it's, it, he's he's a finisher, and he's an awesome finisher when he gets the chance. He's got four goals in the tournament. Savarino and Vargas got the others. Sarah Porteño, It was just a little bit, little bit sad to see them really just dis- dismissed so so comfortably by Atletico Mineiro. Kuka had a smile on his face actually on the touchline. He was really enjoying. His side play. Uh, every time I sort of see them I think Nacho Fernandez is getting a bit more involved in, in how they're playing and what they're doing and they're obviously trying to, to go through him quite a lot. And um yeah, Adelina like to Maneda top of the the top of the group with seven points from their three games.
1: And another Brazilian side with a forward who's now on four goals and Hulk yeah. scored as well on the weekend after his glutter goals last week. He scores on the weekend and then carries it on this week as well. I mean there's some sort of time machine in the Copa <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Everybody is ageless right now. Hulk yeah. looks as good as he was perhaps at Zenit Saint Petersburg. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sarah Pateño were were poor, very poor to be it's honest.
0: disappointing, isn't it, watching the Paraguayans and the Uruguayans and it's um it's tough, man. Yeah, there's like the the gap between these Brazilian sides is just. Ugh, it's just awesome. I mean, credit
1: credit to Jefferson Savarino, who was really fun to watch. Had a attempt at an overhead kick that was was saved. Got his name on the score sheet in the end uh, with a lovely turn and finish to get the third for Atletico Mineiro. They've. It's not just about Hulk. It, it's not even been at all about Nacho Fernandez. No, yet. it hasn't. No, they've they've got threats all across the park in this side you know we heard before the tournament and we're told before the tournament this is a very solid side up and down it's not exactly going to uh throw up the tree trunks and out from by their roots out of the ground or anything like that but it can get the job done and it was it felt a bit like that it it feels kind of like a statement win from Atletico Mineiro kind of putting their name on the Libertadores map this year as well with the margin of it I'm not sure it's one to get too excited about just because of the frustrating performance from their opposition again.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think um we're right not to not to concentrate too much on on Hulk, even though he's you know, as you say he scored four goals in the tournament. But I, I also really liked and I had to ask Pedro for the pronunciation of this, Chi Because I, I was like is it chi and he was like, Yeah, it's like Chi Chi but he it's with a with a better accent of course than I've got. T C H E with an accent. Yeah, Chi Chi. He was very impressive young player look really really good so um yeah it's going to be interesting to see and the other it was either oh. he or
1: savarino i was going to bring up and i decided to bring up savarino <laughs> because uh i thought i'd let you feel that so name
0: bad, so bad. So, um, you know we'll finish ollie of course with um we'll save the best till last right with uh, a full Woo. and comprehensive analysis of deportivo la Guaira nil america de cali nil
1: yeah Colombian football is not coming back is it with Atletico Nacional's performance this week and this from uh from America would, de Cali
0: it would just be great to have one side outside Brazil and Argentina that you could get really excited about yeah it'd just be it, great to have we do, you're not asking you know there's I'm not asking for loads of them I get it like I get the, the difference but just one of them to have a group I mean and you're you're already looking at IDV man I mean Barcelona, yeah, Barcelona or I D V for for different reasons, of course. Maybe Barcelona are the ones we can get excited about, but I just don't know if it... we'll see with them. But uh... It's gonna be
1: an Ecuadorian side, whichever one it is. Yeah. These other the teams from these other nations are just so far off the mark and look, it's not it's not a great game to break down for the last one or anything like that nil <laughs> nil draw uh, La Guayera had chances in the first half America de Cali were kind of limited to efforts from range which didn't exactly make it an entertaining nil-nil either um, yeah I mean Santiago Moreno hit the post I think that's the only other note I've got yeah. but about two and a half notes on this
0: yeah so. and <laughs> yeah, that leaves Group H Atletico Minero top with seven points Sarah Porteño on four, but it's kind of still open because double team are like well, you going I have three in America to Cali with one. So it's still relatively open for that second spot. You feel, um, final thoughts, Ollie, from, from match day three and looking ahead to match day four. I mean, Santos Boca. Woo. Yeah. It's big, really big. I mean, so many little narratives in there with what Santos did to Boca in the second leg of that semi-final last year, of course, to go on and, and, and reach the final Boca, Un, you know, I'm not going to say unthinkable. It's it's never unthinkable to lose a football match, but you know, if Santos beat them suddenly, you know, Boca fans live and die by individual results, and they could be in trouble then with two match days to go.
1: Look, if Santos do what they did to Boca last year again, that that's going to be kind of shockwaves throughout this tournament. And I don't use that kind of overzealously. I do think from what we've seen, and because maybe I'm dismissing the result from game week three for Santos a little bit too much perhaps but yeah you wouldn't expect Santos to go and replicate the feat of beating Boca handily uh, and quite the opposite so if they do it, it makes life very awkward Boca have this I think almost inferiority complex at times at this point compared to River Plate and the plaudits they've received on the continental stage and I think they're so desperate to get back to the the heights once again and get their hands on the Libertadores just to be able to lord it over River Plate for once. Mm. You know, winning the league was nice on the last day of the season and everything, but it's not the Copa Libertadores. And I just wonder, perhaps, does that inferiority complex come into them a little bit more on the big nights in the Libertadores? Because they were so poor last year in the semifinals that they weren't great the year before that either against River. And... This would be a good way to expel some of those demons, if you will. I think if they go to Santos and put in a good performance, a really good performance and take the game to them. And I
0: don't think they can really move on as a football club until they've won the Libertadores again, after what happened against River. And they're always there. What is it, three semifinals on the spin? You know, they've been successful in terms of consistency in the tournament in recent years. But I know that players have moved on coaches have moved on it's, it's it's all very different now but for the football club i mean i was going to ask what stings more but i know that what's things more the fact they haven't won it since 2007 or the fact that they obviously river beat them in the final so recently quite obviously it's the second of those two options but i mean you, you put those two things together ollie plus the fact that they're bocker juniors mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard to think there's pressure on any more football club on the continent this year of course there's pressure on Palmeiras but they won it last year you know so if if something if there's an abomination in the quarterfinals for them eh, you can kind of chalk it off Flamengo won it in in 2019 there'll be big pressure on them of course this year but but Gashada never really has pressure but I mean the the pressure on Boca I think that there's the most pressure on them of any club in the tournament
1: By a mile. I mean, if you run through even the Brazilian and Argentinian sides, like Santos, change of manager, lost arguably their best player, playing a load of youngsters at this point. Reached the
0: final unexpectedly.
1: Made the final last year, but not expected after everything that's gone on in... Perhaps just the last month <laughs> to, to be able to get back there again, to be honest. <laughs> right. Palmeiras, you mentioned. Flamengo, you mentioned, you know, there's pressure on them because of the money and the players they've got. But again, won it two years ago. So a great run in the tournament will probably do all right. Sao Paulo, first time back in the tournament in a couple of years last year. So anything better than last year's performance, which was fairly woeful, is good for Hernan Crespo at that point. Argentinas Junior is no pressure. Boca Junior is all the pressure. River Plate, not as much with Gachado. You know, Vélez and defensive Justicia, certainly not the same amount of pressure as those two big sides from Argentina. Fluminense, backing it once again. Atletico Mineiro, backing it once again. But again, it, not the same calibre of squad, quite clearly. So Boca, it, whether they have the calibre of squad or not, the intensity is always there. There's nobody else playing with any more weight on their shoulders than than Boca Juniors. Just looking at the, the games coming up this week, some other standout ties. Vélez against Liga de Quito, You know, we've mentioned some of how important they could be, but I think, again, just in terms of an enjoyment to watch, I think that will be a really entertaining game of football because both sides play well. Argentinos Juniors, it'd be nice to see them wrap up the group nice and early, to be honest, against Catolica this week and (laughs) stick (laughs) themselves on 12 points. And just, you know, kind of an FU to the naysayers before (laughs) this tournament. It'd be incredible if they end up being like the first team to wrap up a group compared to anybody (laughs) else in this tournament after what was said. It'd be fantastic. And then... You know the other standout really is is IDV against Palmeiras and mm. Palmeiras away from home at, at
0: altitude. Again, ironically, the great leveler. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, uh... there's a, I mean, there's a, all, all the ones you listed are, are absolute crackers. Sorry, I was just a little bit distracted only because I was looking at sides that have won the Libertadores since Boca won it. And, you know, they'll look at that and think Liga de Quito have won the competition more recently than they have. Estudiantes of Argentina have. Internacional have. Santos have. Corinthians have. Atletico Mineiro have. San Lorenzo have won it more recently. River in 2015. Atletico Nacional of Colombia. Gremio in 2017. River, of course, against Boca in 2018. And then Flamengo and Palmeiras. So that is a long list of football clubs in South America that Boca will consider themselves bigger than all of them. Mm. And, you know... They... And importantly, and the think...
1: fans will consider them oh. a lot bigger than all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Miguel Angel Russo's put additional pressure on himself to go to Santos. But does he get a bit of a
1: does he get a bit of a breather after the calamity he had on the sideline? though, Miguel Angel Russo, <laughs> you know, he uh, could still be
0: shaken <laughs> by that. You know, roughed up,
1: roughed up, and abused <laughs> sure,
0: practically sure, in the it was, dugout. It was a wild moment. It really was quite wild. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, if you, you know, uh, it's not <laughs> Franco Soldano's fault, but. <laughs> It depends on whether he plays. I'm sure he's going to play Vigia and, and Tevez and all of that. So, so yeah, lots to look forward to, Ollie. And we went the whole podcast without mentioning what happened with the Boca fan and the um, the the, the vaccination at the Monumental as well. So we'll Go and look that. it up yourself. <laughs> we'll look at yeah. what. Ever, it was absolutely our pleasure to host you once again on Wilson and Winter's Libertadores podcast. Every single match week of the Copa Libertadores season, we have a podcast where we go through the games. We talk about what happens, why it happens. We talk about the ins and the outs, the beauty, the mystery and everything else in between of South American club football on the grandest stage. That is myself. David Windsor, you can find me on Twitter, at David T. Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson, Oliver J. Wilson on Twitter, well worth a follow. Please, guys, do send us, uh, get in contact with us, send us DMs, send us your questions, your musings, your thoughts on, on everything related to the best competition of world football. Let's be honest, the Copa Libertadores. Okay, till next time, thank you very much for listening.